God is not saying, don't work, don't be intentional. There is an intentionality. There is an invitation to intentionality, yeah. but an intentionality towards the thing that's ultimately going to satisfy you. Hey there, welcome to another episode of This Is My Story. Today's guest, his name is Jesse Carbo. He is a really good friend of mine and, and over the years, as I've needed a, a brother and somebody that I could reach out to and ask for wisdom and advice and ultimately, you know, how do I bring God into my own story to find healing, to find meaning, to find purpose? He's been that kind of friend for me. He knows God's word. He's, uh, he can empathize with what I'm going through, but he points me to Jesus. And we had a conversation on the phone the other day because Emily and I, my wife and I were going through some difficult things in our family. And I reached out to him and sure enough, you know, it'd been a little while. He lives in Miami now, but, uh, quickly, very quickly, even though it'd been months and months since we connected immediately, we're right back in um, iron sharpening iron. And so if you need help today, if you feel stuck, if you're feeling a lack of peace, uh, you have anxiety around you, you feel stressed out, um, maybe relationships that you you're you're living through right now are broken or fragmented. And so we're going to dive into how do you find rest and how do you find peace? Before we jump into the conversation, though, I want to thank our two sponsors, Word of Life Bible Institute and Camp. There's a, a link down below where you can actually go and get a Bible education. And uh, there's actually trained professors who will uh, teach these lessons online. So there'll be a link down below. I encourage you to check that out. And our second sponsor, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Listen, sometimes life takes turns and we cannot control that. But one thing we can control is whether or not we have some sort of uh, solution for our health care. So there'll be a link down below. All right, we're going to dive into this conversation with Jesse and I. I hope you enjoy it. Jesse Carbo. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's good you, to be you with mean, you in person. I know. In your beautiful studio, your beautiful home, your beautiful you. family. Yeah. So your quick version of Jesse Carbo, salvation, knowing God and finding Jesus. Let's hear that. And then sure. we'll dive into this. Yeah. So born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, I'm 47. So do the math. 1975. Um, you old, huh? Yeah. We just talked about our kids. Yeah. Your kids oldest is graduating college. And college. Yeah. I got a kid in college or two kids in college and two, two, two sons in college, two daughters in high school and, uh, been married 27 years, met, married my high school sweetheart and, um, shout out to Anitra. Yeah. Anitra. She's the Beautiful. best mom Anitra. You can follow her yeah. on Instagram. Cause or... your parents are originally from Cuba. Yeah. They, they immigrated from Cuba in the early sixties. They were like, they were little kids. They were 10 years old. So they Americanized, you know, yeah. uh, in Miami, uh, grew up, you know, mostly speaking English, but we live in that kind of, uh, second dual generation, culture. dual culture. Yeah, yeah. Cuban American Miami life. I would say that my story has always been like an, like there's been like these iterations of my understanding yeah. of the gospel. And so then at 13 years old, uh, went to a youth conference and I understood clearly for myself I was a sinner in need of a savior. And so I remember October, 1987, going to my room, kneeling by my bed and really like, like solidifying, like, Lord, I know I get it. You, yeah. you, you died on the cross to, to forgive me of my sins. I received that. Then at 17, you know, went through like this rebellious time, like, you know, wanted to get away from my parents, my house, the whole thing. And then just had a real, at the end of that summer of 1992, really just had a strong sense like God was calling me into ministry. Yeah. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. I watched my dad struggle and suffer through, be, you know, being in ministry. Yeah. But I made a deal with God. I said, I will uh, not pursue it, but if you bring it to my door, I'll, I'll open the door. Like if, the, if ministry opportunities come knocking at my door, I'll open. Yeah. And to this day, I have never 
submitted a resume. I've never, yeah. you know, 25 plus years in ministry. I've never applied yeah. for a ministry job and God's just been faithful yeah. and funny. He's funny that way, yeah. but faithful. And then at 28 years old, serving at a very large church in Miami as a youth pastor, I just burned out. I burned out. I was like exhausted spiritually, exhausted emotionally, yeah. young married couple with two small babies at home. And I was like, I've had enough of this. Yeah. I just want to make money. And so I bought a business yeah. and I went to town trying to make yeah. money. And I did I make that. money. And and we had I was met just about that time. Yeah. Like a couple of years after that yeah. part of your life. And and you were you definitely helped me think through ministry from a business mindset. Yeah. But I here's what I'd like people to stop just one moment. Ministry is yeah. hard. Yeah. 80%, 80% or more of seminary graduate students leave the ministry yeah. forever yeah. after two years or yeah. less of ministry. That's right. When you get burnt out it can be a dark season because mm -hmm. who do you tell? You know, it's not like you can really tell anybody in your church. You're really yeah. It's hard to be out. a professional pastor and look weak. Yeah. Yeah. Because you might lose your job. Yeah. Yeah. Which you is, would, which is what happened to me. I had equated my relationship with God synonymously to my work for God. Yeah. Mm. Which is a mistake, right? Because, you know, Jesus even said, how many of you will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? He says, get away from me. I never knew you. Yeah. Right. So knowing Jesus, knowing the father, being in relationship with the father, being in communion with the spirit is, is not necessarily the same thing as doing all these things for God. Yeah. And so I was definitely on the hamster wheel of performance, trying to earn God's favor, even though I understood that the gospel was, was based on grace and not my works, you know, my justification, the way that I go to heaven one day when I die was based on his grace and not my works, but man, the way I was trying to keep his favor, the way I was trying to, um, earn his love, earn his blessings in this life today, here and now was all works. I was just trying to like perform my way, yeah. you know, into his, into his yeah. goodness. And so but you, you become unaware that, that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally not aware wasn't intentional yeah. just sort of but slipped be, into it the only awareness that you start to have which i can attest to is the sense of an emptiness within you yeah and this unsettling yeah i can't explain something yeah man i don't have the rest let's talk about your story and how you felt this deep unrest yeah and and what is rest and unrest first let's start there and then tie your story into that yeah it's a good question i think you know, when I think about rest and unrest, you know, there's, you know, probably for most of us, we would immediately jump to like, well, rest is like having a day off, you know, it's like I work five days a week and Saturdays are for the for rest. I live in Miami, Florida. So what do most people do when they rest? They get the boat, they go out into the ocean, they go fishing, they go to the beach. Yeah. You know, that's my day of rest. To me, that's a lot of work, you know, packing up four kids in the car and chairs, six cooler. beach chairs, the cooler, the food, the snacks, the towels, that's a lot of work. But, but that can, that's a level of rest, but that's a, that's a, a surface level of rest. There is a rest that is deeply satisfying to the soul. Yeah. Um, it's important yeah. to know that because unless you heal the soul mm -hmm. and your soul finds the rest so that, so you could physically be at the beach yeah. and physically be surfing. Yeah. You could take a, a nap book. and still wake up tired. Thank you. That'll preach. That's the worst thing is like to take a nap and go, why am I still tired? Yeah. And probably the easiest way, and least this is how I understand it, is when I feel complete versus mm. I had this, this sense that something's missing. Yeah. And, and then the unrest 
is perpetuated by me working so hard to go search and find that which is missing. Yeah. And so for me, connecting it to my story, so fast forward, God is merciful, 28 years old, I burn out, I, you know, I'm not in ministry anymore. God opens the door for us to get back into ministry. God gives me favor in ministry, uh, great success in ministry. I moved back to Miami in 2013. We start a network. We're reach, you know, we're loving on serving hundreds of pastors in South Florida. And I'm at the, you know, you could say proverbial top of my game yeah. in ministry. I've got a network of people all over the country. I'm bringing famous yeah. people to Miami. And, and yet I began to realize that something was missing my soul, right? Like my soul started to feel like, even though, yes, I, you know, I can take a vacation. I can go get some time at the beach. I can take a nap. I can do all the physical rest stuff, but deep within me, something was missing. Some, my soul was not at rest. And so then what you do is, you know, at least what I was doing, I was beginning to fight for search for look for, you know, do whatever I needed to do to get that, which was missing. And so then one day a conversation came up about, you know, man, Jesse, like you need, you need some, you need a Sabbath, you know, you need, you need a break. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, amen. Like, Oh man. You know, I'd heard about these pastors getting, you know, uh, you know, a, sab a sabbatical, sabbatical, a sabbatical. Yeah. yeah. Like a 90 day sabbatical or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that'd be amazing. Like, yeah. could I get a sabbatical? And that whole conversation about getting a sabbatical, which is what I thought, you yeah. know, fighting for is what I needed. Yeah. I needed a, well, it's a, a it's break a set time a month, yeah. three months, whatever, where the church right. allows where you can go away with right. your family, still get paid, right? but it's not a vacation. It's an intentional uh, restoration. Into yeah. Sort yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. And, and all of that turned into uh, basically from two organizations that I was serving, you know, getting paid the yeah. professional leader, top of my game, you know, um, yeah, Jesse, sorry, we can't give you sabbatical and you're fired. Like basically yeah. I was no longer employed. I was no longer financially support. Wow. I was no longer, you know, and, and, and lost relationships, lost yeah. friendships, lost. Yeah. And I found myself even more un unrestful, even more yeah. devastated than well, before this whole thing tired. started. You already felt like something was missing, but you still had a source of income. So like your basic needs for your family could be met, which means your basic human created role as husband father sure. provider protector is also now questioned like so all right yeah. now the core of yeah, who yeah. you are as a man so right right, right like one yeah it's all pulled out from under me yeah. now the rug pull happens yeah. and, and i mean honestly you kind of lose everything you, yeah at that point you've lost it all and yeah so i'm devastated my wife is devastated uh i've you know i found myself you know end of august beginning of september you know literally and in for a period of about a week super, super depressed. Um, yeah. thinking, anxiety. Oh, major anxiety. Uh, went to the hospital one time to get my heart checked. I thought something was wrong. Um, and you know, kept looking at my shotgun, kept, you know, having these wow, really, really thought, Oh maybe, yeah, maybe. man was, was going there for sure. Yeah. And, um, tough, man. I didn't know it was that bad. Had a really good friend just come and just, you know, begin to encourage me and love on me and coach me and, and counsel me. And, um, and another friend, you know, really just kind of a friend that I know from Fort Myers, you know, called me out of the blue, began to gospel me and encourage me. And um, yeah, I had this experience where the Holy Spirit convicted me and comforted me at the same time, convicted me of my sin that um, I had made ministry my idol 
that the very thing that I was proclaiming the gospel for all of life, Tim Keller has this famous quote where he says, the gospel is not just the door to salvation. It's the path for all of life. And I really believe that. I really believe that the gospel has implications for every single part of your life. But for me in that part of my life, in that season of my life, the gospel was just the brand that I was pimping for all these pastors so that I could have a platform in this city. And I had forgotten how to apply the gospel for my own life. So that shows up in my unrest that showed up in my anxiety. And it was revealed like, I mean, like I could not get any more soul naked than that week of being totally depressed and devastated. The only reason I'm devastated is because something was taken from me that meant more to me than the gospel itself. And, and, and I was unrest. My friend said to me, man, like, you have everything you need. You are fully loved. Man, Holy Spirit convicted me of, of my sin, but equally comforted me. Like, yeah. I love you. You're still my child. I approve of you because I felt so unapproved of that whole experience made me feel like, you know, you're not worthy. We don't love you. We don't care about you. You know, and like all my friends, everything, everything was just ripped out from under me. And in that moment, I felt the reality of like, wow. And so then my wife reminded me, she says, well, the Lord knew we need a sabbatical and we got a sabbatical. <laughs> it just wasn't the way we thought it was going to be. And, and believe it or not, God has provided financially. You know, there were moments that were scary, like, oh, where, you know, where's our next, you know, dollar going to come from? But the Lord has provided. Cool. And then so in, awesome. and then in December, you know, began reconnecting with some, some, some church community began reconnecting, you know, uh, another ministry opportunity with apartment life popped up. And, yeah. and then most recently, you know, I've been worshiping and praying with some friends. They're mm. doing this thing called family room and mm. came up. This is how we had this conversation yesterday, came across this passage in Hebrews four, where the Lord just showed me like this, this is, this is the essence of what the father in heaven wants for all of his children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going through at the same time, uh, Emily and I both just an unrest season mm-hmm. in the last few days with, with, uh, you know, Noah not being able to go to the same school and just kind of mm-hmm. struggling with dyslexia. And, you know, as a father, I want the best for my children. We want to see them succeed in life. We want them to not go through pain, you know, and it's not that we want to put a bubble around them, yeah. but we just want to see them have the best opportunity in life to grow, to yeah. make friends and to, to find confidence. And, and in your, in your mind, your brain, if you, if you aren't smart in school, it's one of those things that can really start to like tear down your confidence and sure. make question God even and question, why are you different? And, and so as we were getting this news about him, it was just like, did I do enough as a father? Did I, did I read with him enough? Did I, you know, I start processing all these like failure points that I maybe could have been better at and, and then processing Emily, like what could she have done better? And, and I was looking at like trying to blame, trying to figure out like, what can we do better? And in so many ways, what I was trying to do is what you said. I was really performing. I was, I was this fix it person. Like you were saying to me mm-hmm. on the phone yesterday, I wanted to fix it. There was a problem. I could figure out a solution. God's wired me to be mm-hmm. a problem solver. Yeah. Um, the problem with my problem solving is that I try to be God and yes. I try to take over the potential pain of his soul where, where sin could come in and he could feel insecure. He could feel not as smart as and question why he's different. Mm-hmm. And I want to help that soul, that little tiny baby, eight year old soul. I want to help it. Right. And so what I'll do is I'll try to fix everything that's wrong in myself, mm-hmm. Emily, the school. Mm-hmm. And 
that's when I began to just have this unrest. And as it peels back, I just, my heart for him breaks. And then I think you called me and we started talking about this text in Hebrews where my heart broke because I had it all wrong. Mm. But so that conviction, like you just said, came and was met with the comfort as well, mm-hmm. where I was comforted by Hebrews 4. I was comforted by what Jesus said in Hebrews 4. And my soul actually started mm. to say to me, mm. get this, Kevin, this is what I'm longing for. Mm. This will help Noah too. Like, I almost feel like an understanding is happening mm-hmm. for all of life, like mm-hmm. for all of my situations mm-hmm. with, with even my marriage, with even with Noah and in ministry, how I perceive all things. You yesterday with, with Hebrews 4 in our conversation was peeling back every layer so that I could see this is where you find rest. Yeah. I told you my story. You told me I needed rest. I think I pushed back on you and I was like, yeah, but what is rest? Like, what is rest? How do I really? get rest? Yeah, like, what do you mean? How? Like, What's I don't, the formula? Like, going to the beach is actually annoying. Like, I actually remember <laughs> us kind of talking about some of these things are not restful. Like, you no, go and you do them at the end of the day. All. They're like, that was fun. You're like, I'm still exhausted. And yeah. I still feel yeah. some drain deep down in. So start with Hebrews 4. and that- Yeah. And, and so then, so verse 1 in Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. And that's a peculiar statement because it, you know, it's basically saying, his rest is still available to you. Yeah. Right. And so if you, if you understand like kind of how the scripture is written, it says, therefore, well, in under, in order for us to understand, therefore you have to go back and look at chapter three, chapter out what it's there for. Yeah. Chapter that's right. Chapter three is talking about how Jesus is greater than Moses. So the author of Hebrews is basically talking about the Israelites and how the Israelites were through Moses were invited into his rest Right. And then he says, but Jesus is even greater than Moses. Even they even make a comparison in chapter three that Moses was the servant in the house of God, but Jesus is the son of God in the house of God. And, and you were once invited into his rest through the servant of Moses, but now Jesus is greater than that. And you are being invited into the, into the rest through the son of God in the house of God. Right. And then it even says in chapter three, there's a responsibility that we have as a church. So kind of what took place on the phone yesterday is what chapter three encourages us to do, which is, it says here in verse 12, chapter three, see to it brothers, we're brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is our propensity. Even as Christians, Mm. our propensity is to turn away from the living God. That's essentially what sin is. Sin is these moments of unbelief that we have where we turn away from God. Sin is not believing God. Yeah. That's exactly, I mean, if you go back to the garden of Eden, why was it a sin for Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the tree? Because they didn't believe God. They did not trust God. I'll even connect this to the fact that like the, the garden of Eden was God's initial invitation to, to mankind to enter into his rest. The garden of Eden was a garden of rest. And so we're commanded here to see to it that we continue to, to turn back to God, turn back to God. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so the more that we pursue right? Our completeness or our wholeness because of this unrest that nags away at us. If we keep finding it in things that don't ultimately satisfy us, we will become hardened. Yeah. Your son, Noah, his greatest need is not to be cured of dyslexia. His greatest need, 
is to find his wholeness and his fullness and his approval and his satisfaction in the father. Mm. Not even in you as a father, yeah. even though he needs that from you. He, that is part of it. Like, like God has established you as his father to teach him, to disciple him, to pastor him, to, to raise him up as a man. But, but part of your job as a, as the lead shepherd of your family is to point him to the true father, yeah. the heavenly father, where his need, his soul longing for rest comes from him. And that's why Hebrews four, one says, therefore, since that promise of entering into the rest, that invitation that we have, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So, so even the invitation entering his rest doesn't mean that there's a lack of work. Like God is not saying don't work. Don't be intentional. There is an intentionality. There is an invitation to intentionality, yeah. but an intentionality towards the thing that's ultimately going to satisfy you versus the thing that is never going to yeah. satisfy you. Yeah. So let's, Let's dive in. Cause I think I said to you on the phone yesterday. So then what? Like, so yeah. Do you remember what verse you, you yeah, said? Yeah. 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 Verse 12 and in, in chapter four says for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Motives are everything. Motives. Yeah, they're hard sometimes to detect though. Oh man. Do I have the right motive. I mean, it is, you really are honest and like, yes. sit with that for a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm a simpleton, but I would say I'm a simple man. <laughs> like I need like very basic, like you got to break it down for me. Yeah. I had a friend who used to say bottom shelf it for me, bro. Like give it to me like yeah. plain English. If you look at Satan's tactic in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, was it that bad that they ate fruit? I mean, really even part of the deception that the serpent Satan used with Adam and Eve is fruit is good for you. Mm, it's yeah. good. And, and the Bible says that Eve looked at it and Adam looked at it and says, it looked good for our body. It looked like it can, you know, provide nutrition for us. Yeah. And yet I'm sure it looked real good. God is trying to keep nutrition from me. God is the one who made this tree and put this fruit like, Oh no, surely it must be good. Like, so, so this is the hard thing about, the way we're often deceived is first through our motives. Mm. And so earlier yeah. in chapter three, like the reason why it says brothers, sisters, encourage one another, yeah. see to it that we don't, that we aren't turned away from the living God because of the deceitfulness of sin. What makes sin deceitful motives? This is why it says in verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So even when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you say that if you commit adultery, I say, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus speaks to the motives. Yeah. Jesus speaks to the intents of the heart. And then verse 13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Your motives. Why do you really want to fix your son? So that you can feel like you're a good father? so that you can be his savior. Yeah. You're not his savior. You cannot be Noah's savior. I cannot be my wife's savior. I've struggled with that. I cannot be, I can, I am not the savior of the pastors of Miami on any platform that I have. Yeah. I, I am not only Jesus is a good savior. Only God is a loving God and a good father who provides good things to his children. And my job is to lay hold intentionally lay hold of that rest that has been provided for me and then point others to yeah. it. Did you read the verse about cling to Jesus? 
Yeah, verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So what's interesting is that we we will hold firmly. We will say, yes, I believe in Jesus for my salvation so that when I die, I won't go to hell, I'll go to heaven. But then that's usually where it stops for a lot of believers. But why don't we continue to hold on to this faith and let him be our high priest for every part of our life? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. My weakness as a father, my weakness as a pastor, my weakness as a husband. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then this is my favorite part. To me, this is, again, I'm a simple guy. Got a bottom shelf for me because I want to know, what do I do? What do I do? Yes, I want the rest. I long for the the rest. This makes sense to me. But what do I do? Verse 16, right? So in light of this high priest named Jesus who empathizes with us. He he's been tempted, but he didn't sin in his temptation. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And so then I just, when I heard this a few weeks ago, I thought, what does that look like to approach the throne of God, God, um, um, the throne of grace with, yeah, with God's throne of grace with confidence. I thought, okay, if I was in heaven and there was a red carpet, I'm walking down the red carpet to his throne. What posture would I have? I would have a posture of worship. It would, it, it would be worship. And I know we talk about worship in a lot of different ways. Like it's singing, it's music, it's sacrifice. It's all these different, but the point is it's worship for me. It's man, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing worship music. I'm, I like to sing. I like worship music. And so I'm playing worship music because it reminds me of his promise. It reminds yeah, but me of the character of God. You're not just playing worship music. You're entering into I'm the entering, presence of yeah, God. Yeah. The simple come to the throne of God and what, the one translation said is cling to Jesus or hold mm-hmm. fast to your faith. Yeah. Listen, I didn't even like hearing that yesterday because mm. it didn't fit my model of mm. fixing anything. I get mm. screwdrivers, saws and hammers and I build things. <laughs> if there's a problem, I go and take the same stuff, tear it apart and fix it, put it back together. Yeah. I can't do that with what you're telling yeah. me. It, it has nothing to do with me except holding and i have feel like i'm going through the valley of the shadow of death mm-hmm. where i do not have rest the rest of that passage say though i go through the valley of the shadow of death yeah. what i will fear no evil why for thou art with me he's with you yeah and 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 this is my point i think if there's anything anybody gets on this podcast this is the point if we are driven and motivated by the reality and the truth that he is with you the intentionality and the pursuit of rest is going to look very different than if we live as if he's not with us, mm. then, then, then if we live as if we've been abandoned and we're alone and, and listen, as a professional pastor, and I've preached hundreds of sermons, I have often felt alone. Mm. Why? I know the truth, but I fail to know the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what worship does, I think this is why the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's because we're being challenged. Like when we enter into worship, we are reminded that in the rest of that verse says that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need, because we will often find ourselves. This is not going to be the last time, you know, you and I have a phone call where you're like, man, I'm struggling, or I'm going to call you because I've called you in the past. I'm struggling. Yeah. And this is why we're encouraged to encourage each other and challenge each other and remind each other that he is with us. Mm. He is with us and he is inviting us into his rest. 
that he is a better fixer (laughs) of our children and our marriages and all these things. This is the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is that Jesus came to restore all things. And what, what he primarily came to restore is that we might enter into and live into the rest that he provided yeah. to Adam and Eve in the garden. But because of sin, that rest has been vandalized and yet he has made it possible again for us. And yeah. then we have each other as the church, whether you go to a local church or whether you belong to a digital church or an online church, or whether you have nobody like call Kevin, you know, look him up on the website or call me, you know, like, yeah. like, Amen. like we, we can, we can encourage each other to be reminded that Jesus is with us. The spirit of God is with us and he is inviting us into this rest. Let's worship him together. Let's remember yeah. that, that he is for us. He is for us. Yeah. And let's, let's share our stories together because when you and I began to share it, it gave context for the brokenness mm-hmm. and it allowed you and I to take God's word and his truth and the gospel of the, the person of Jesus and this relationship we have with him, it allowed us to see, engage where we are right now with him mm-hmm. and where we are without him. And so my story, as you would unpack that with me, revealed both to both of us, well, here's who I am and here's the way I'm going about things mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And that showed me my motives. That showed me my heart. So without my story, I don't have a context even for this. And you don't have a context to know right. what I need. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But as we share and you open up like so many different times, we speak into each other's mm-hmm. lives, like the truth of who we mm-hmm. are in Christ. The, yeah. Sometimes that's what I've needed. And that's what you've needed. And as brothers in Christ, that's what we do. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to This Is My Story. And uh, we're building a tribe here, building a community of people who are excited about hearing testimonies and also understand they we all need help in this journey called life, which is our story. And uh, here in this podcast and within our ministry, this is our passion is to build this connection between who we are, our story, and that grand story of God's love and his redemption for us. And so Thank you for tuning along on that journey with us. Until next time, remember, your story matters.